Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Rethink Culture. It's the podcast that shines a spotlight on business leaders who are rethinking workplace culture. My name is Andreas Constantinou, and I'm your host, and I'm also chairman and founder at Slash Data, and an accidental micromanager who turned servant leader over the years and developed a personal passion for workplace culture. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, let me know by emailing rethink at rethinkculture.co. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Byron Darlinson. Byron is the founder of Rise, uh, which is a Canadian content management firm for digital signage. He recently sold that and he spent a lot of time thinking about culture and organizing the business for efficiency. Uh, today, Byron spends most of his time outside his business, outdoors, canoeing, camping, cycling, skiing, he tells me, which is only four months a year in uh, Canada. Unfortunately. So lots to talk about, Byron. Very much welcome to the Rethink Culture podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. So um, you are a systems thinker, and that's how I would describe you. I was fascinated, literally fascinated, when I came across Rise. Uh, I think it was by something you posted on the Slack for uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. And on that page, you had a very thoroughly thought out and documented set of processes for everything from like compensation and hiring and bonus schemes and like so much detail about how Rise works. And I thought it was very bold that you put this out for everyone to see, but you had also taken so much uh, energy and focus to to get it document that level of detail. So, what motivated you to to put that out in the public, and what was the thought process behind it? Probably two parts. Um, our operating system was probably comprised of ten, fifteen different frameworks that over time we we merged together that you know better thinkers than I created and they shared. <laughs> so there was a, a desire to pay it forward mm. to make it available. But more importantly, there's a, a desire to write it down, uh, to put it in stone so that it, it reinforces the discipline, the cadence, what we call the artifacts that maintain each step in terms of how we work. And by putting it down and uh, constantly updating it, it's, it just reinforces the commitment mm. to, to that process. And did you have any people who were attracted to Rise as a result of what you posted there? Was it meant as a as kind of employer branding in today's terms? I would call it employee filtering. Mm. Um, it, it, it made it really, really clear as to how we work. And you either thought it was amazing or, mm. or you didn't. I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure uh, it was a recruiting tool in the sense of hyping the company. Mm. It was probably more of a filtering tool. Mm -hmm. And earlier you were telling me that uh, when you hired someone, they 
might have stayed in the company for a year, maybe not, depending if the culture was a good fit for them. But if they did, they stayed on for a really, really long time. Yeah. So when I exited the company, I think probably the I exited after 30 years, and I think the second employee was 28 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, there's there's a lot of friends that have been in the company for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you like the way we work, um, you stay. Mm-hmm. There's there's no drama. There's you know it's 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 a very straightforward mm-hmm. relationship, but that's not always for everyone. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed, we're very transparent in our work. We're very accountable for our work uh, quantitatively, and it it sounds um, sounds great. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. So if you made it past a year, you typically were there for a long time, mm-hmm. but in that first year turnover could be mm-hmm. quite high. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think a lot about this notion that every company is weird or special in a sense. And I heard it first from Vern Harnish who talked about it. And if you think, if, if you think about it, like, when we look for a relationship as people, we're very particular about who we want next to us, like super particular. And a business is no different because it's influenced top down from the values of the founder or the founders. And the way that the company works, especially if the culture is intentional, does not fit everyone because they reflect a particular personality and values and principles and so on. So I think this kind of special values and attributes and principles the company has that made it that make it a good fit for a small part of the population, uh, what Robert Glazer in a previous podcast said, one or two percent of the people who apply, I think that is something we should be conscious about and proud about and say and thinking that you know this 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 business that i've built as a founder is very particular in the way it does things and so we need to be looking for uh, the people that you know um are inspired but by, by by what inspires us and and follow the same truths and, and values and principles um Sorry, did you have any thoughts on that? Or I had a question after that. I've been talking for too um, long. No, no, no. Um, the dangerous side about that, yeah. the thing to be um, careful about, which always worried me, was just uh, drinking your own Kool-Aid too much. Mm. So, and this was the other part of writing it down and committing to constantly updating it, is... Uh, well, as we mentioned earlier, strong convictions loosely held mm-hmm. the value of the company, which meaning that this is our culture. This is how we do things. We're very, very committed to this. And But if you come along and you speak a truth that's going to improve or, you know, unvalidate something in here, we are not attached to it. 
Mm-hmm. We will throw it out and adopt mm-hmm. your truth. We will um, unabashedly steal <laughs> what mm-hmm. you've just brought forward, and we will incorporate it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's extremely important. Well, it's strong convictions loosely held, and mm-hmm. I don't know who who said that when, but uh, I think that's incredibly important when creating your culture to make mm-hmm. sure you don't become so attached to it that oh yes it's just one big group thing yeah 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 like like the sign says on on my uh right or to your left uh, i like always learning and unlearning you know admitting or, or putting aside your ego and admitting you are wrong is part of that there's no there's no other way absolutely um so let's let's zoom into what makes or made ride special uh made because you've left the company but makes because it's still around so um what makes ride special uh we talked earlier about focus discipline and cadence which are very uh intentional words uh do you want to describe the highlights of of these three words but it would, what do they mean for you? Maybe if I could start with something to the question of what makes the company special. I, I would, coming back to uh, tenure, the people that are there, and the time that we've been together and the time that they've spent acquiring domain knowledge, they're mm-hmm. experts in their domains. Um, is incredible. So I think what makes the company special are extremely experienced people with unbelievable domain knowledge. And what the company, me, finally figured out is get out of the way. Mm. Empower them to exercise that domain knowledge to do amazing things. And harness it in a way that is extremely focused and productive, meaning that there is one thing that the company is doing for a quarter or 90 days that will harness all of that domain knowledge to produce some improvement that will become a baseline in the company. So then the next quarter, you add another brick, you add another brick, you add another brick. That Getting out of the way, focusing that domain knowledge, that expertise, and doing it in a process that is got a very defined cadence, uh, rhythm, and, and, and methodology for constantly running that engine is just very, very productive. And it empowers people to, you know, uh, realize the expertise that we've acquired and see the, the get the creative return on what they're doing. Mm. You know, they feel ownership and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, room to, to make, make mm-hmm. cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to get to something we discussed earlier before starting the recording, which is skip level reviews and how you used those to help managers 
pick one thing they wanted to improve each quarter. How, that, how does that work exactly? So um, it's a, a combination of um, Peter Drucker with the concept of performance agreements, um, top grading, and understanding all of the character traits that comprise a role and what excellent uh, performance or, or adaptation of that character trait is, an A, you know, sort of the middle ground, a B and a C. And then uh, I believe it was Kim Scott in her book, Radical Candor, uh, mm -hmm. uh, provided the framework for um, skip level reviews. So what happens is every quarter, and this is discipline because it's hard work, someone has to go through 40 character traits, values, their critical number performance, and rate themselves. Did I achieve my critical number for the quarter? Everybody has one critical number, a red, green, or yellow target. Uh, where am I at in the values? You know, fully, fully aligned. Not so much, not aligned. Where am I at on the character traits for my role in the company? Uh, and there's there's a lot of them there. You've got to be very self self critical and analytic. And just uh, as an aside, I in my experience, people were more critical of themselves than their manager was. Typically, it was more, no, that's not as bad as you say, it's this. Mm -hmm. um, when you provide a framework that's open and honest and just really devoted to improving a person, people will become very self-analytical and in some cases a little too critical. So mm -hmm. you take that, own, their, that, that personal retrospection with feedback from their manager, but their manager, assuming that the person is a manager of people, meets with their reports directly and discusses mm -hmm. things like what's going really well, um, what's not going so well. If you were there, what would you do differently? There's four or five questions. And all of that is collated anonymously and into a doc. And that document is shared with the person whose performance review is, is, is up that quarter. And you take that combined and then you say to them, based on the feedback from people who report to you, your own self-analysis, myself as a manager's feedback, what's the one thing that you need to do this quarter to mm. improve your, your execution, to improve your ability to lead, to improve your ability to go along with peers, whatever it is. Typically, people will come back with 10 things. I experience has been that everybody complains about being forced to multitask. It's delusional. My biggest fight with people is not to multitask, to pick one thing. It's very, very difficult for people to pick one thing and stick to it until it's done. So just like the company, every quarter, you go out to do one thing for the company that will improve everything. For the people, you do one thing that will prove your ability to be a domain expert in what you do and uh, be able to capitalize on that expertise and how you work with everyone around you. How much did you see that's people it. how much did you see people change as a result? Marginally oh, like, or phenomenally? 
Um, or no, not so. For those that stayed. For those that stayed. No, I assume so. Um, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Nobody's asked me that before. Okay, so I found that people changed incredibly to a point. And then because of that process was really, really open, transparent, and candid, radical candor, there were many cases where the person went, no, I got to go back down a level. I'm more happy here. And so you, you would improve ex exponentially in what you did, but sometimes someone would say, no, I, I'm really not happy here. I want to go back to what I was doing before. Interesting. And, and they would stay. So people, people say, you know, you can never demote a person in terms of uh, them being happy and stay with the company and all of that kind of stuff. But when it's that type of process, it's not a demotion. It's where is your expertise, your domain expertise and your skill set and your interests lie. And what does that mean in terms of the company? Maybe you were thinking that you wanted to be a manager of managers because, you know, it just seemed like you should be. But now you're really, really unhappy because you're not feeling as creative as you were in your previous role. Mm. So to lose that person at that point is expensive, extremely expensive. You spent so much time building that expertise, that relationship, all of that stuff. You've got to figure out how to put them back to where they truly want to be and, and can be truly productive. So maybe the better question is, what did this process do to improve tenure? Meaning finding the right fit for somebody where they're going to be truly happy and want to stay at something for a long time. It reminds me of the Peter principle, which says that in the hierarchy, every employee tends, tends to rise to their level of incompetence. So you keep getting promoted and promoted, promoted until you are too far away from your comfort zone and your skill zone and you stop being productive. Uh, productive. Um, and I mean, that is particularly true because uh, in large organizations, we tend to promote individual contributors who then become managers without them having people skills. But here you talk about a far broader range of skills, not just people skills. Um, and it's, I think it's a, it's a brilliant example of, um, self-awareness for someone to say, well, I'm actually more comfortable being who I was before and I don't want to evolve because yeah, I'm, I'd rather stay too, true to, to my principles and what I feel comfortable with. And I think, I think it's 80% person's realization but where i see most companies failing is back to the peter principle just leaving people here and not addressing the problem so back to radical candor you've got to come in and that's a really hard conversation oh yeah to say this doesn't seem to be working and you don't seem to be happy what are we going to do about this and that also is part of the culture we created, mm -hmm. which isn't an easy culture. And also the reason why, you know, people would leave early because that, mm -hmm. that very candid 
feedback. Although it's going to be delivered politely and, you know, yeah. Yeah. kindly, yeah. is not what what people are comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about changing, what was one thing that you committed to as part of that process and changed in the way you work? Uh one thing. Back to take one thing. There's so many things. Oh, well, let's let's um, have three if you want. Three. Oh yeah. Um, flavor of the day killed that, which meant saying no more often than yes, and saying no to myself more often than anyone else. Um, no longer feeling responsible for being the ideation machine. Um, just becoming a cool later and editor and uh, I'll say it the polite way, shutting up. But in my head I'm saying it the other way. It's just to uh, reinforce like you really shouldn't be talking. So why why did you or why did your employees feel you had to shut up? Was it because you were speaking too much? You had too many ideas? Um, you know, I I never uh, had an employee tell me that I taunt too much um, that I can remember, but. What I found is, you know, if you've been in business for a long time, you're a natural salesperson and you can sell your employees on your idea, the thing, your pet project or whatever, and you can push and, and, and cram to get what you think is the most amazing thing since sliced bread. But it's something you become so attached to, you're blind, you've got biases of the yin-yang. And when it's not working because you were so attached to it, you're, you're not willing to abandon it, all of those things. So why are you doing that in the first place? You should be sitting there quietly, creating space for all of those people that you pay a lot of money and who are experts and have been with you forever and in many cases are much closer to the situation to describe what should be happening. And you should be spending all of your time focusing on that conversation as an editor, as a collator, to bring it together and shared ownership to be, okay, we've gone through everything. We had 10 options as to what we feel we got to be doing next. Here's, here's one that I think we're all in agreement on. You know, and so and so. I know you don't agree, but our principle is we disagree and commit. And here we're mm -hmm. going to commit. I'm making the call. Mm -hmm. um, you have to back this, um, and this is what we're going to go off and do. So, um, if you do it the other way around, uh, if you're anything like me historically. You've lost millions on your great ideas. 
Because they're not so great once they t- once they hit the, no, they're stupid. the road. <laughs> they're absolutely yeah. stupid and they're ninety nine percent ego. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And we 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 always forget or we tend to forget that when uh, a CEO comes in and says another great idea and everyone nods their head, it's because of that person's job title and not because of the idea. Right? Yeah. Um, you uh, also mentioned earlier to me this paradigm of turning rocks into sand which sounds like a Chinese parable, but it's actually something really tangible. And um, I, 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 I really like the way uh, you describe that paradigm. Can you tell us more about how you put that into practice? Well, it, it's, it, it, it's not it, those, those turn, well, I guess I put an extension on it. So Covey uh, had the Stephen idea Covey. of, yeah, of working on uh, what people do put it the important, not the urgent, or mm-hmm. the you know you have those quadrants, so the mm-hmm. four quadrants you're going to be working on something. Um, so his point was, you take a fixed container, and if you pour in all the sand, the mundane, the urgent, the the things that are easy, and then you try to add three rocks to the container, you can't, you can't put them in. But if you put the three rocks in first and then pour in the sand, fills all the space around it, you end up with a container with three rocks plus sand. My extension of this is always do something, something new, some improvement that's the rock. But at the end of that period, that rock is crushed. It's sand. It's become part of your foundation. So now, next quarter, new rock. So the container is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, meaning the improvement in the company is getting better and better and better in terms of what you're delivering to your customers, how you're uh, attracting and retaining employees, whatever it may be. Um, So taking Covey, Stephen Covey's principle of rocks and sand, but realizing at the end of it, a rock is done when it's become sand. So when you've incorporated that and it just happens by every day, there's nothing, there's nothing special about it. This just gets done is when you're ready to put another rock into the mix. And when you lo- no longer notice it and then you take exactly. another rock and, and move to the next step. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I notice this when you're trying to produce something that's new, let's, stick with the analogy, a rock, you're pushing, 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 you're trying to get people to adopt it. You're trying to da, da, da. And it seems like it's never going to stick. And then all of a sudden, in some meeting somewhere, somebody goes, we don't do it like that. We do it like this. And that's a tipping point where all of a sudden that rock is now sand and people start saying, we don't do it like that. We do this. Mm. And it's, it's, you're pushing a rock up a hill and it doesn't seem like you'll ever get there. But all of a sudden when that happens, it's downhill from there mm. and it's, it's mm. all good stuff. Mm. Something I want to go back to is this uh, notion of transparency and accountability. 
which is probably uh, pivotal and foundational to RISE and how it works. Um, tell us a bit more about like the principle of having individual KPIs and being fully transparent about your work and, and what does it mean in day-to-day -day work? I, I think a company should be as transparent as humanly possible. So I'm a firm believer in uh, the concept of a functional accountability chart. Mm -hmm. So you have your organizational chart, but you have your functional chart, which is here are all the roles that we need as a company. And for these roles to be optimized, this is the number that we think is extremely important to this role. That's um, the critical number for this role. And here is what the mission is for this role. This is what this role has to achieve as measured by this critical number. And there may be a few leading and lagging indicators to give you some more uh, visibility on whatever, whatever that number may be. So if you are organized enough to know what your functional accountability chart is, all of those measures that, that make up it, and they all roll up together to be the CEO's overall number for the company. It's very easy to publish a weekly dashboard that is all of those critical numbers. Here's the team, here's some individuals, and everybody has access to it. But it also means that in that weekly accounting, we, we used to call it scoreboard Thursdays. If your numbers are, are in the red, you have to, by end of the day, produce the correction that you're going to be making to put your number into the green and you're going to commit to a date by when. So you may say at the end of the day, I, I can't, I need one week to figure this out. That's fine. But by the end of the day, you are committing to a date either by when it will be corrected and the action you're taking or um, the date by when you, you will have... Mm that commitment to be made. So everybody knows who's who's doing what, where we're all at. And 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 somebody may say, hey, I see you're in trouble. I have an idea. And they can come in to help. They can support you. They can do whatever whatever you may need. So that's that's very, very difficult for people to do. Now the other side of that though is you know what all of these functional roles are. You know the levels of experience that you need for them. So it's very easy to take those roles and create a compensation ledger that says this role, if you're an A player, plus or minus 20% typically, pays X. And use third-party services, pay scale, whatever you want to use, or a combination of services to actually decide, okay, I want to pay in the 60th percentile for a company of a thousand people or more in the jurisdiction that that I'm you know, residing in or where I'm mm -hmm. using as my geographic mm -hmm. target. And you list out all of those, those, those pay ranges and you list out what the variable portion of that as a percentage of the base is for all of those roles. So it's very easy for people to go, I understand what these functional roles pay. I understand that my performance in this role is a B. I'm not at the top level yet as per the performance review that we talked about earlier. 
and what it means if I get to that A level in terms of the compensation. And and and, and an A level has to be sustained for at least a couple of quarters. It can't just be a one one off affair. So and then from a company's perspective, to commit to that compensation, don't break it, and then share on a monthly basis your financial numbers and use those financial numbers in that presentation in an all hands meeting to once again say say one thing. Sorry, just give me one second. Just say one thing that the company and and, and typically it's your CFO making this presentation. And and the difficult thing for a CFO is to go, hey, here's the numbers. And here's the one thing we've got to work on this month to improve these numbers. And typically you want to tie it to the theme for the quarter that you're going after, but it's not just a whole bunch of numbers. It's like, this is what it all means. And this is by doing this, what it means for all of us. And if you, you're smart, I, okay. In my opinion, if you're smart, you have a profit sharing component that's paid out monthly to people. So you're sharing the financial, you're telling them what that impact is on, on profit sharing that they're getting that month, and you're giving them an action. This is what we all need to do to improve your profit sharing, which improves our financials, mm-hmm. which all ties back to the functional accountability chart and who owns what and all of that kind of stuff. But this means, and it means all your work is visible, you're very, it, it applies all across the board. To have that level of transparency corporately as a leader, as a contributor is really uncomfortable at times and it's not for everybody. Mm. So you've, um, you've read a lot of books and, um, utilized a lot of frameworks to build your own flavor of an operating system at rise if you were to take three or four frameworks um and you wanted to advise people here listening uh leaders and say from this framework i really take that part let's say the gwc system from uh, entrepreneur operating system or something else from scaling up and so on. Is there like, do you have favorites on what are like really, um, great techniques that you've read and, and built on? Sure. Um, Shannon Sosko three hag, uh, top grading, uh, base camps, uh, software methodology. Uh, six weeks sprints uh, with, but in a continuous deployment environment. Uh, story brand, Donald Miller, uh, Radical Can, Candor, uh, Kim Scott. There's probably a lot more. I would, I would go with those as, as what's your as favorite starting. What's your favorite, like, um, your, your key takeaway from three hag that you started with? Um, probably the, my favorite tool in there 
is well in that. I like three hag a lot, but I don't think it does a, a great job of giving a framework. And 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 I haven't gone back to it. I know uh, it's being constantly improved. It doesn't do a great job of identifying the customer. I I think StoryBrand does an amazing job of that. So really, really dialing in on on who your customer is, and then boiling it down to three five attributes that they are making their buying decision on. And then mapping scale of one to five, how you do as a company at fulfilling those three to five attributes, but then taking a look at your competition and really knowing your competition and grading how they do at fulfilling that. You all typically chart it out. You all typically end up in a grouped line, probably pretty close. But now you've got to say, okay, I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to distinguish myself as being exceptional in some part of this. Same same point as do one thing at a time. You can't just pile on. If I'm going to be exceptional in something, what am I going to be unexceptional in? Because I can't do I can't make everything a five. It's just it's not gonna fly. So I want to invest in these two attributes to create an incredible amount of white space between me and my competition so that I can't be compared. That means maybe I'm going to give up on price. I'm going to be expensive or whatever it may be. You figure it out. And then mapping out over a three-year time horizon and always have a three-year framework that you're moving one quarter to a next. This is constantly about moving forward by quarter what you're investing in or divesting in, in each of these attributes. And who owns that? Who on your functional accountability chart is the leader, is the person accountable for making that deliverable this quarter? So those are what I call, or no, Shannon Susco calls strategic swimlanes. And then you have in your functional company, you have your functional swimlanes. What are the improvements by function we need to make? And then you have your hiring swim lanes. Who are the rules that we have to bring in? And you're always looking at this three years of swim lanes and you're deciding every quarter of what we're doing across these, what's the number one? What's the theme for this quarter? What do we got to do? And we we had a really fun way of going about the theme, or at least I I felt it was kind kind of unique. We'd establish a theme for the quarter. We'd set, as measured by, that's a very common term for us. It's not just we did this. We are doing this to change a critical number. It's not a, it's not a, a checklist on a, on a task. It's, no, we're doing this work because we want to improve this critical number. So we are going to fit, uh, deliver this thing this quarter as measured by this number and if we hit it, if we hit the green target, everybody gets 150 bucks. It's not a lot of money. It's a tiny amount of money. And if we only hit the yellow target, everybody gets, I can't remember what it was, 50 bucks. And we don't, we're in the red. Nobody gets anything. But to get your reward, you have to spend the money on something fun. And mm. the only way that you can claim that money is if you posted a picture in a Slack channel called the Hacky Room of that thing. So I'm out for 
you know, a drive-in movie with my family. I am a Star Wars nut. I bought a huge Star Wars puzzle or whatever it is. You didn't have to submit a receipt. You just have to submit a picture. And that just creates a culture of success and fun and all that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's not a big amount of money no. at all. But it gamifies the whole thing, makes it fun, makes people, especially in a distributed company, get to know each other. And it gives you a reason at every weekly meeting, at every all hands, all of that stuff, to talk about where you're at with the theme for the quarter. Mm. Amazing. I love it. No receipt. Just send us a picture of you doing just something. And no picture, yep. no picture, no money. Yeah. Love it. Byron, um, as we wrap up, what do you think that we as leaders need to rethink about culture? Uh, uh, be systematic in what you're doing. Um, commit to it. Disciplined about it. And as a leader, you can't be late for a meeting. You can't miss a deliverable. If you say this is how we do things and when we do them and what gets produced from them, you must always, always, always show up and, and, and deliver what you said you would, even if that means you don't sleep for a week. Because um, the moment you don't, you just undermine the whole thing. And just do one thing at a time. Don't ask people to do anything other than that, but be smart about that, that one thing is and be really systematic about it. Um, and uh, I think if you do all of those things, uh, look after your people, you retain and uh, attract good people and their domain expertise will, will grow over time and they lead, not you. So shut up and listen to them. And it only took you 30 years to arrive to that wisdom, right? <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, 25 years oscillating and five years really accelerating. Yeah. When I'm asked about this, say I spent 25 years going up and down, five years moving in a straight line. And when I'm coaching, my line is, if you listen to me, you can do it in three. Mm. And if I do it again, I, I would set out to do it in three. Mm. But I would start with the framework. Mm. Super. Byron, thank you for the, the wisdom. Um, distilling these frameworks and books into some really tangible operating systems and practices that you practice at RISE. Uh, I'm going to go back and read uh, Three Hack because it sounds like a very foundational piece of structure that uh, maybe will be useful in my new business. So thank you for being here with us. And for everyone else, thank you for listening. Do hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next few episodes. Do let us know what you think about the episodes by emailing rethink at rethinkculture.co and keep leading. Ciao. Thank you.